This episode is brought to you by the Weight Inclusive Business Workshop. Morgan and I are hosting a two-day business workshop on September 29th and 30th. During these two days, we're going to cover the importance of laying a business foundation that'll set you up for success, business strategies to keep you on the path to success, business finances, marketing, customer experience journey, systems so you can work smarter and not harder, and you guessed it, the Enneagram, and how to use it as a business tool. It's a mix between learning and doing, so you'll walk away from our time together with things checked off your business to-do list. We'll be getting together on Thursday and Friday, September 29th and 30th. Registration is now open. And if you're a dietitian, we did apply for CEUs. You're not going to want to miss this. Head on over to weightinclusiveinnovators.com to register. Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators Podcast. My name is Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians, to building a cohesive brand, to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight inclusive business. The good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we are on a mission to bring business education to other weight inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. Happy Monday, Weight Inclusive Innovators. Today, we're going to be chatting about profit first. You've heard us mention it many, many times on previous episodes, and today is the day to learn about profit first, aka the system that both Hannah and I use, loosely use, to track expenses, taxes, and how we pay ourselves. And I'm going to assume employees that you have. Absolutely. But before we dive into today's episode, let's do a quick check-in with Hannah. Hannah, I have a finance question for you. I love a finance question. Lay it on me. If you could rate on a scale of one to 10, how you feel about your financial organization, how would you rate yourself? I have a follow-up question because I could talk about this forever. (laughs) What is your definition of financial organization? Like, what does that mean to you? I would say, uh, how well do you feel like you have your financial shit together? Oh, um, an eight and a half. Those are snaps all around. Yeah. I, um, I like to always say seven when I can, because Enneagram sevens, when somebody gives me a one to 10, but I do think I have my shit together pretty well. And that's been from years of not and having to figure it out and also a lot of privilege. Um, so when I think about financial organization and all the pieces that I manage, like my business finances at the group practice, values driven group, my personal finances, investments, things like that. My financial planners say that I pretty much fucking got it down. So I'm going to, I'm going to ride that. I'm pretty organized. Yeah. I mean, that's, I love talking about it. 85%. I love it. Definitely have things to learn from you, which we'll get into today. Yes. I mean, I don't have it all together. I don't want to pretend like I do, but I feel like for me, it's like good enough. And I love getting it good enough. What about you? I would say I'm a solid 6.5 out of 10. We're like almost passing. I think I would have said six out of 10 if you would have asked me this two weeks ago. But as of last week, I'm officially investing. (gasps) Yay! Which feels so freaking good. 
I love that for you. Ter- terrifying, but good. Kind of just ripped the bandaid off. It's one of those things that I've been thinking about for so long. We're finally doing it. What feels terrifying? Not having control over it. Mm. Like the like someone else is using my money that's being invested in, and I don't really know what it's being used for. Mm-hmm. But I'm making more money back or mm-hmm. will in the yep. long run. Yep. It's kind of like when I think about space, like I understand the concept of space that like we have planets and they're all rotating. But when I think about it too much, it like freaks me out a little bit. Oh my God. I relate to that so much. I'm like, is there fucking aliens? Is there another earth out there where there's people like us? Like what is actually happening in space? If we're such a tiny speck of it. Exactly. Yeah. Existential here. Exactly. And so then when I think about investing too much and like all of the different avenues that I just like, don't know, Mm -hmm. like I want to be able to be like this month I am investing $200. I want someone to tell me who's using that $200. Where is it going? What is it being used for? Do you know what stocks, bonds, and things you're invested in or no? Uh, No. That's That's why. That's part of it. That's part of it. Yes. I'm like, are we starting a whole nother podcast episode right now? We're not. This is just a (laughs) check-in. We'll circle back around 6.5 because I am investing now. I have a little bit of credit card debt, but I think it's smart debt, but we're paying it off. I'm making some consistent income. But it still feels a little chaotic from catching up from my first year of entrepreneurship. Six oh my gosh. That is so normal. We're almost passing. We're almost in a passing grade. Love that. Maybe um, we'll check in about this again before the end of the year and see if your grade has improved. We'll do it on our next uh, episode. We talk about money. Awesome. Love it. That's great. The thing I love about this question and thinking about financial organization is that there's so much time in theory, right? Life is short and we anything could happen, but you can be in a situation that you are not feeling optimized by or like that you want to make changes and improve your financial health. And there's so much time and time is on your side. And so it's something that can be worked on small changes. Like we talk about with intuitive eating and eating disorder recovery, like same thing with money, our relationship with money, we have to look at Um, We have to learn about what financial health actually means and separating that from capitalism. And then like we can make those changes and work towards something, which I just think is cool. It's so cool. I am excited to continue to learn more and adding investing into our list of topics to talk about in the future. Yes. One last question before we dive into profit first. Oh, sure. What's up? What do you think would get you to a seven? Just that 0.5 more. I think investing consistently for six months and seeing some growth with that would feel good. And I think bringing down my, not even bringing down my credit card debt, but improving my net worth. Mm. Which could look like bringing down your debt. Which could look like bringing down debt or it could look like making more money. Awesome. Love all of that. (laughs) Yep. Anywho, ready to continue the financial conversation and dive into today's episode? Let's do it. So like we alluded to, we are talking about profit first today. You've probably heard us use this key term for a while. Um, It is a book by Mike Michalowicz. He's fine. (laughs) Um, Wait, like, 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 like fine, like Oh, he's fine. Or like, fine. Like he's subpar. He's like, he's like, okay. 
He's mediocre. Okay, there we go. Good things to say. Um, just some diety, fat phobic shit in his book, which we hate. Always. You need more God. business resources by one, more diverse people, and two, that are not so fucking fat phobic. So we want to give that di- disclaimer. And it's tricky because we don't want to withhold information because of those things, because we think it's still helpful for people to have. And we're just going to take what we think is helpful and try to explain it to you as much as we can with our mouths, even though visuals are great too. So it is based off the book, Profit First. If you want more visuals, if you're a visual learner, we are going to be diving into Profit First during our two-day workshop. So you can totally sign up for that. We are, yes. In our two-day workshop, Morgan's going to cover like the the specific nitty-gritty of solopreneur, and I'm going to dive into the nuances of group practice. So we're going to cover it all. Yes, we are. Also, with any financial episode we do, Hannah and I are not financial planners. We're not accountants. We are two entrepreneurs who have had to figure this shit out and we're bringing our personal experience into this. Please take what we say with a grain of salt. Do what's best for you. Hire an accountant. I was an almost accountant if you remember back to my business story, but then I was like, that's boring. (laughs) We're both like accountant adjacent because you were almost an accountant. I was raised by accountants. Oh, yeah. So like together we kind of make like half an accountant. Yes. Maybe like (laughs) 0.65 of an accountant. A little more than half. A little more than half. A little more than half. I guess I should say 6.5. 65%. Whatever. Math. Told you. Not an accountant. Not an accountant. We're not math people. (laughs) We're science and business people. How would you describe what Profit First is? Ooh, if I had to describe Profit First, it is a methodology of keeping track of your finances that centers profit. Do I say that? I know there's like, I know profit's obviously a huge piece of it, but I feel like it's really like centering, making sure your expenses are paid first. There's it's just open like, for interpretation. I Every time I say profit first, I'm like, okay, like, yes, I'm putting money aside for profit, but like, I don't do that first. Like that's what's left more towards the end of it. Do you have something to say about that? I do. So the way that profit first has kind of been reduced down to the most basic definition is you remove the profit and hope your business will run on the rest. So if I give the example of a, a business that has $100,000 in revenue, let's take away $10,000, put it to the side and see if that business can run on the 90% or the 90,000 that is left. And with that 90,000, you're covering all your expenses. You're getting paid as the owner. Um, you're putting aside money for taxes, emergency. And then you have this $10,000 that you have to the side of like, oh, cool. I just kind of made my business run more basically. And now this money's not just getting lost into the business, specifically in the private practice realm, being thrown at like CEUs you never watch or things you think you need that you never end up using. Like now you just have this cash that you can use for so many different things. Um, Some people pay it to themselves, which no judgment. My value is to figure out ways to share that profit with my team. Love that. I, you know, now that you say that, I like remember reading that in the book, but Mm -hmm. probably helpful to know that. Regardless of knowing that or not, I do function from a profit first method. <laughs> yes, but and alluding to what you just said, so there's there's four main parts of the profit first method, and it's setting aside a percentage for profit, setting aside a percentage for expenses, which you also kind of like calculate your spent expenses, a percentage for taxes, and then a percentage for owner's draw, aka what you're paying yourself. The thing that's tricky about Profit First, and if you read the book, which we recommend, we'll put it in the show notes, like we both have a copy, 
it's really tailored to industries that are not necessarily services being sold based. It's more of like supplies, like traditional business models where, you know, this isn't profit first, but it was kind of thrown around that like 30% goes to the workers, 30% goes to expenses, and then 30% goes to the owner. And that's just not how our industry works. And so we kind of take from profit first what works for us. Some of it lines up pretty well, but in the context of group practice, which I'll talk about, it fucking doesn't. And so I've kind of, I was actually talking to two business coaching clients today about my intuitive profit first method that I use, (laughs) just knowing my numbers um, and doing this for a while. So we'll cover all of that. But yes, there's four main buckets, expenses, owner draw, taxes, and profit. Diving into these four buckets a little bit more and and bringing in our personal examples for me specifically, like solopreneur, um, I don't have employees. I do have contract workers, which has changed my like expense calculations a little bit. But the first thing that I did was uh, figured out what my what percentage my average monthly expenses were. And so I added up all of my recurring costs. so, my website host, my co-working space, Zoom, Calendly, things like that, and divided that by what I thought a realistic monthly revenue goal was. And as a solopreneur, as someone who runs a fully online business, my monthly expenses are pretty minimal. But as a newer full-time entrepreneur, my revenue goals were also pretty low. And so my expenses ended up being about 30%, which is on par with kind of like what the book recommends or book says as well. A good check-in is like to to check in with that quarterly and make sure, because you know, like my revenues consistently increased every quarter since I started. My expenses have also changed. As I mentioned, I brought on a contractor and so now needed to make sure that um, what I was paying her was included in the monthly expenses. And so that ended up being about 30%. For taxes, I'm in Texas. We don't have state taxes. Makes things a little different. So I put- nice. It is. We don't have state taxes. And so I put aside 20% for taxes, which is a little low. I put aside 30% in the beginning, whenever I was doing contract work, whenever I wasn't working for myself full-time and that I always had leftovers. And so I was like, let me bring it down to 20% and see, and I still had some leftover, but I'm for sure not going lower than 20%. Well, and again, it's Texas specific that you don't have state taxes and that's a big chunk. And so anybody else who is in a higher tax state may consider doing closer to that 30% or totally whatever. And especially if you're not a W2 for yourself, because that removes some taxes in itself that you don't have to account for. And so expenses were 30%, taxes were 20%. Because my revenue is not where I want it to be, I wanted to get in the habit of setting aside profit. I actually only set aside 1% right now, which is something. And I'm hoping to increase that eventually, but it has been nice to 
continuously set aside that 1%. And as we've mentioned on past episodes, kind of have that be like a nest egg and emergency fund for my business, which means that 49% is left over. And that is what my owner's draw or my salary is. So I keep my expenses and my owner's draw in a checking account. And then once a month, I transfer the 20% of taxes into my taxes savings account. And then I transfer my 1% profit into a profit savings account to just keep those completely separate. Awesome. So And correct me if I miss anything here, but if we were to use the example of you brought in $10,000 of revenue in a month, then 50 or 49% would go to your pay, which is $4,900. would go to your profit. For your taxes, that would be $2,000. And then for your expenses, that would be $3,000. Correct. Sweet. I love giving a real life example with percentages. So people aren't like, what? That's exactly it. So when I explain mine, it feels pretty dang simple. It's very straightforward working for myself. I don't have to worry about paying someone else other than contractors, a contractor. Yeah, can be very hyper aware of my... It, it. There's a nice balance between like where I am in my personal finances and like what I know I'm bringing in to the business and how those intersect. Yours is a little more of a beast to figure out Can you explain how you use it as a group practice owner with employees? Yes. First, I want to just direct people to, we'll link this in the the show notes. There is a chart that you can look up for Profit First as a good place to start if you're like, I don't want to read a book right now. And basically this chart goes over what the specific percentages you can start at based on your revenue. And so Morgan, I'm sure that you can relate to this of like starting with those percentages and then tweaking it to whatever makes sense for your business since our industry doesn't line up with these numbers. So for example, just looking at this chart for businesses that make zero to $250,000 of real revenue per year, then profit is 5%. You put to the side, owner's pay should be 50%, tax 15% and operating expenses 30. But with this real revenue, typically in this example, they've subtracted things that were needed to produce that revenue and then running off of that. So like, let's say it was a $500,000 business and they needed 300,000 to go into this thing that produced money that made the other 200,000. And so the real revenue is 200,000. So then you do the 5%, the 50%, the 15% and the 30% off of that 200,000. I don't know if any of this is making sense listening to it, but if you pull up the chart and rewind on that example, hopefully that will help you. But for group practice, (laughs) we're very established, but we're still growing all the time. And so percentages always get wonky because I'm always reinvesting money in the practice to hire people. Hiring employees is very expensive and very worth it, but it does kind of skew the percentages to which we function on. With Profit First and group practice, the biggest thing is the 50% that is owner's pay. That can be looked at as what should go to your employees eventually, if not right off the bat. There's so many reasons how we pick what goes to employees, how much we pay them, et cetera, experience, capability in private practice, et cetera. And so you can pick a range, whatever makes sense to you. Not going to give two specific numbers because I don't want people to get caught in the weeds. Typically, in group practice, eventually the max that can go to an employee is 50 to 55%. 
or else like you can't run a profitable business. And then again, you have to let people go. You do not have a business anymore. So 50 to 55% goes to your team. And that includes their compensation and benefits. And then you have, you know, 45 to 50% left to work with. Between that, tax has to come out, operating expenses, and then profit, which some of the profit is owner's pay. And so it doesn't quite align. And so the way that I break it up, that's not quite profit first, but can still work, is employee pay, expenses, some taxes, owner's pay. Was that four? Okay, cool. So with those- And then profit. And profit. Yes. And profit, I- don't have a specific percentage I do. I just kind of, and this is where the intuitive part comes in. So because I want to take care of my team and make sure they get what they deserve of what they bring in, that's always the hard line of 50 to 55% for me. That's what they work up to if they're not already there. And again, if someone's more green and takes more supervision and time and support and resources investing into them, makes sense that I can't pay them as much because I'm paying that money and time to them. Morgan has a question. With the 50 to 55%, say you have three employees, the money that they're bringing into the practice all gets kind of thrown into like 50% of all of that collectively, or is it 50% of each individual person's money that's being brought into the practice? Good question. So this is going to bring up more context and nuance and things. When someone has a group practice of three clinicians, if they're needing to make money, they're probably a fourth clinician themselves. The owner is to bring revenue into the practice. I was that for a really long time. And that's just part of growth is like you're, you're straddling all the lines of clinician, group practice owner, supervisor, boss, all the things. And so you have to kind of count yourself at that point as an employee. So like, let's say all four of your team, you and your three dietitians see 20 clients a week. That is 80 clients total. And let's say each of those are $100 per session just to keep the numbers tight. That's $8,000. And then, so you divide that by two to get 50%. So $4,000, that $4,000 goes to your team, including yourself for pay. Evenly split. Evenly split. because Well, because they're seeing their 20 clients, 20 clients, 20 clients, 20 clients, right? And that's where the numbers aren't always kosher because sometimes like you could have somebody who took a day off and so they're seeing 15 clients. So then they get, you know, 50% of what 15 clients brought in. Gotcha. 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 So if someone, cause I'm just imagining like not every dietitian is like the same rate either. And so like someone who is seeing 25 clients at a hundred dollars a session versus someone who's seeing 10 clients a week at $80 a session are bringing different amounts in. So the percentage that you're paying them is based on the amount that they're bringing into the practice, the revenue they're bringing into the practice. Yes. Except that is way too in the weeds. And so I'm not going to sit there and calculate like, oh, this client was $75. This client was 110. This client was 50. What we do is we find the average ticket of total clients that are practiced. We look at trends. We make sure our insurance payers are pretty comparable with our private pay rate. And then we account for some sliding scale at our practice because fairness. Mm -hmm. And so based on all of those factors, we come to an average ticket, Gotcha. which is the average cost that we collect from a client session. So it can range anywhere from 60 to $150, right? Again, just using numbers out of my ass, but maybe the average ticket is actually a hundred. 
Gotcha. And so it doesn't really matter because we don't need to incentivize people truly on like the amount of money they're directly bringing in per client, because I think that could lead to like discriminatory things of like, well, I don't want to take on any sliding scale if I only get X amount. And that's a perk of being at the private practice, right? Is like, it's all average. So it doesn't matter what your client is paying. You still get the same and that's great. So you find a flat fee that percent from the average ticket. So if the average ticket is a hundred, considering all the different kinds of payer types, the clinician should get 50 to $55 per client. However, if you're a group practice that wants people full time and you want to offer benefits, you can't pay them that and do benefits because you're going to run the practice dry and not be able to pay yourself at all. And so that's where we say the 50 to 55% includes compensation and benefits. And so the 55% is really when you're a little bit bigger of a practice. So the expenses are kind of spread out a bit more. And also your team at that point will be more senior. And so they get an increase in pay. So wherever you want to start your team at, some people, like I've had apprentices who were super green clinicians fresh out of school that we started at a lower percentage, um, which is stuff that I'm all holding as a group practice owner. Like as a group practice owner, you, you decide what your clinician gets paid based off of objective numbers, and then you communicate that to them. And then they can decide from there if they accept it or if they want to do something else. If you're paying a fair rate based on percentages we're talking about, they're probably going to accept, especially when you're an insurance provider, like you're kind of capped out at a certain point until you can get raises from insurance. And a lot of the time you can ask annually. And so people understand that and people still make a very good living by being at a group practice. I'm rambling now, but that's kind of where the 50 to 55% comes in and then taking into account, like if one person seeing 15 clients, $80 per client, 20 clients, hundred dollars per client, it's all kind of mixed in. And then if they saw 15 clients, they get paid for 15 clients. If they saw 20, they get paid for 20. And then at a certain point, if your team is like consistent and then you can do salary for them and have a certain expectation, then you can do that. That makes a lot of sense. That was a really great explanation. Thank you. Okay, great. Cause I'm like, am I just talking? Is this going to make sense? People are like scratching their heads in their car as they're driving of like, what the fuck? (laughs) It's gosh, it's so hard to convey numbers. Verbally mm-hmm. without a visual representation, but I that I followed that completely. So I think that makes a lot of sense to me. My follow up question is: in the example that you gave, like the hundred dollars was the average session cost. Do you alter that, like monthly, quarterly, or is that kind of like a set number, like based on contracts with insurance and knowing how much you're going to get? Back? Yeah, I'll kind of do an intuitive check in. So because a lot of our payers are pretty similar. And then also if they give us a raise, it's like $2. So it's been more in the past, but, and that's why it's important to know your numbers and look at things because that, and that's where the profit comes in for me as well as if there's overflow after that, then I can pull that money and be like, awesome. Look, now we have money to be able to offer other benefits like PTO, which is what we're starting this year. Or like, Oh sweet. Like I've been busting ass and like time for me to take an owner's draw. I can use some of the profit because it's my business. And so that's kind of where that, you know, if the average ticket is anticipated to be around a hundred and it's actually around 110, which again, I don't ever get directly into those numbers to that extent because it's a waste of my time. Um, it's kind of like if we have a client who wants to know their exact meal plan and they're like, how many fucking grams of protein do I have? And it's like, it doesn't matter. Have a steak. Like just yeah. get a steak, eat your steak. 
That's a great, great analogy. Thanks. I feel like I have way more questions for you because there's so like, there's so like so much nitty gritty and group practice. But also the next question that I have is dealing with insurance because we know that there's like delayed payments from insurance. So how does that impact your profit first financial method? So that's where you can't use projected numbers. Like let's say I'm looking at the month of February and we have 200 clients come through the practice in February and it's a hundred dollars per client. I can't be like, Oh, that's $20,000. So $10,000 is going to go to the employee X, Y, Z. Like Yes, in theory, but you have to use the money you actually have coming in right now. So because insurance payments are delayed, the February appointments probably aren't even going to come through until March. And so in January, the money that I'm paying to people for in the month of February, as they're seeing these other appointments is my clinicians are getting paid for that in real time, but we're collecting the money differently. And so when I'm looking at these numbers, my hope is that I'm always recouping the money but I have to look at like what's actually in my bank account, which is why Profit First doesn't perfectly work either because we don't have that money in real time with insurance. It's We have to look at numbers based on what we actually have, what we're anticipating getting, what my team is billing me in real time and making sure that there's not too much of a discrepancy over time. It's almost like borrowing from Nourish Colorado to pay my team until I get paid from insurance, which is like just this crazy love triangle. It's fine. <laughs> Love triangles are a great way to describe that. So yeah. your team is getting paid for the month that they're in, but you're likely paying them from money you got from the past month, waiting for that month that they're being paid for to get reimbursed by insurance. Yes. And this is why in the beginning of the year we have cash flow issues always because December is a slower month. And so when January hits and we're gearing up and I'm paying my team, I'm still getting paid December payments, which was a slower month due to the holidays. And that's when I'm like, oh shit, thank goodness I have my nest egg reference nest egg episode. Nest egg, which is also profit. Good question. The nest egg. And this is the thing with the kind of like I alluded to in the beginning, when you're building a group practice and you're in those growing years, everything gets skewed because you're trying to put money to the side as much as you can. You're also trying to pay yourself. You're trying to be fair to your team. If you're upgrading to an office suite and then you're furnishing a suite, that's fucking expensive. Your expenses go up. Some of it is temporary. Other is permanent because now you have an office space. And so that's where the intuition comes in, where I'm kind of just like looking at how much money is in my business revenue account, which is where all the money comes in. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to throw this in operating expenses accounting for payroll and all the things and looking at my numbers and making sure that aligns. And then whatever's left, I can throw in a little bit into taxes, a little bit into profit and a little bit into my nest egg to build up. It is a mess. And I'm sure there are many ways of doing this. This is just how it's worked for me. And to kind of close the circle of group practice and shift things to solopreneur, because I have some questions for you. I would say a healthy profity place to be in is 50 to 55% go into your team. And then you have 25 to 30% going to expenses and taxes. And then 15 to 20% is going to the group practice owner, which covers salary and owner's draws. Love it. Thanks for the recap. Yes. And if you want a visual and want to dive into that more, as well as ask Hannah specific questions on how to set this up, join our workshop. Yes. I will give you everything on my mind. I will show you my numbers. I love doing that. I always think it's helpful to have 
an example of what a group practice looks like in real time. And also I can access my numbers from when I was in solo too, and go over those. So love it. We love examples. We love using our own businesses as examples, as you guys know, when you listen to the pod. Shifting to solopreneur. Yes. What questions you got for me? With being a solopreneur, how do you track this? What do you use? How did you come up with your percentages? Tell us like your system. So I came up with my percentages a few months before I left my full-time job to work for myself full-time. I had a business coach at the time and I like couldn't wrap my head around calculating my percentages and figuring it out. And so I did most of those calculations with her. It was hard to figure out the percentages in the beginning because if you're working for someone full-time and building up your side hustle, you're never going to be making a full-time salary from your side hustle while working full-time. If you are you need a break. There's a, they're worried about you. Please email us. We will get you resources. (laughs) You're going to be, you know, you're probably going to, you might be matching the amount you're making, but you're not going to be working 80 hours, 40, 40 and 40. I didn't really know that I was going to be leaving my full-time job that quickly. And so the money that I, the revenue that I made in 2020, because I quit my job December of 2020, the money, the revenue that I made in 2020 was a little under $14,000 total. And so I was like, okay, well, like I am not going to be able to pay my expenses, pay taxes, pay myself and set aside profit with $14,000. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I was doing my percentage calculations, I was like referencing that, but like really freaking hoping I was going to be making more than $14,000 in revenue my first year of business. It was a little like, I'm just going to put these numbers here and kind of keep tabs on it and definitely relied on the percentages from the book. But like, even you mentioned in that chart, it's like zero to 250,000 in revenue. And I was like, 14,000, this is a very big range. I'm on the very low end of that range. Are we sure that those are appropriate numbers? Absolutely. And you're also a single person, a sink who has to pay for things yourself. Like it would be different if someone was partnered and could rely on their partner's income and then do these percentages and like pay themselves what they could with the percentages assigned. And then they're like, great, I'm doing profit first, but it's a little bit more cutthroat whenever you're kind of reliant on yourself and you're like $14,000, like I have bills. Like I, I can't put anything much aside for profit. And like, I have to maximize my taxes and run my business pretty lean in the expenses, even though it's not ideal and I have to be scrappy. And so that's where profit first money allocation buckets, that's all developed to your own individual businesses percentages over time. The TLDR is use profit first to start you off and then develop percentages that make sense to your business at the time and the stage that your business is in. One thing I feel like I still haven't fully mastered is, as I mentioned, I pay myself 49% of my revenue. And that is still like, yes, I'm paying myself 49% every two weeks. I pay myself on like the 16th and the last day of the month. And there are some periods where I make a couple thousand dollars in a two week time period. And there's some times that I make $800 in a two week time period. And so Profit first doesn't really support that inconsistency. 
not to dive into like my personal finances too much, but basically I have it to where like what I'm paying, what I paid myself August 1st through 15th is what I'm using to live the 16th through the 31st. So like, I know how much money I have and I can budget for it oh, a little bit more appropriately. Love that. Yeah. And I have it. I have, I, to answer your question, I track everything through Google Sheets. I have a Morgan Sinclair Designs Finances with a Profit First Calculator. And I have a Morgan's Personal Finances where I manage each month. And I don't really budget, but have like a general sense of like, how much money do I have to spend? Intuitive budgeting. Intuitive budgeting. Yes, we hate budgeting. Um, it's too diety. And yeah. what's really more helpful is looking at what your required expenses are, right? And even in in relation to business or personal life, like if you have rent or if you have a mortgage or if you have like a software program you have to use to run your business or if you have your electric to pay, like all of those things are fixed expenses. And so you can account for those. And then the variable expenses, that's like fun things and et cetera. And when you're an entrepreneur and you're first building your business and you're trying to figure out these percentages, like you may not be able to have as much of a variable expense and you have to cut back on fun things and knowing that it's temporary. And that's where those percentages are going to be skewed as well. Whether that's applied to your business of you're being scrappy, you can't afford to pay for a lawyer right now because you don't even have enough money to really pay yourself yet. And so how do you not do that yet until you have the money in your operating expenses, which then is going to increase your expenses? I kind of just combined business and personal, but hopefully I made a bit of sense. I mean, truthfully, as a solopreneur, yeah. they're all kind of intermingled anyway. I do. I have separate bank accounts. I do my personal finances and my business finances at two separate banks to prevent any crossover. I'm usually really good at boundaries of, around like not mixing and mingling between the two, but having them at different banks definitely helps. Absolutely. Which I did recently. Thanks, Morgan. Woo! Love that accountability. Yes. I know we didn't get to speak directly to solo private practice, even though that can kind of fall into solopreneur. But I just want to point out that your business is different, which hopefully if people have been catching up with us for a while, they know that you do a ton of different business coaching things and design work and awesome stuff. And so the percentages are probably going to look a little bit different for a solopreneur. And I would say a safe bet again is 50% owner's pay like taking 50% of what you bring in and being okay to pay yourself. And then the other 50% split between expenses and taxes, and then finding a little bit of profit to pull out of there to start. And then keep tweaking that depending on like, if your state does have less state tax, then you probably can pull out a little bit more for profit. Or if you can run your business pretty lean, side note, got to find a better word than that, but that's just like the business talk space. We're going to think through that one. Um, but if you can run your business pretty minimally, pretty bare bones, that's not even better. Fuck. <laughs> there are no good words There's no. to describe it. Please email I us. Like, I like word. minimal is good. Minimal. If you can run your business, let's look up synonyms of lean and see if there's... Uh, mm. I almost like think like basic... Or like structurally, like I'm trying to envision a house with bare bones, but again, bare bones isn't the right word. Yeah, I don't like that either. I'm saying like one dimensionally. That could be. We'll do like okay. minimal one dimensional. Okay. It's just tough because people are like we hear lean in the business in the space. startup space. Yeah. Ugh. 
Yeah. Okay. So we're going to say a pretty basic business, even though maybe as you grow, like it's not so basic because then you can address inefficiencies that happen with having a basic business because you got to keep it basic to keep your costs down. So if you can get your operating expenses lower because you're running a basic business, then you'll have more money to play with for taxes and profit and things. Side note, we love taxes. They're important to pay. They provide a lot of really awesome stuff in the world. And if you live in a state like Colorado, and if you live in Denver, you get tax on tax on tax on tax. And that's really hard. So if anybody's out there like, fuck, our state taxes and our city taxes are expensive, I feel you. And it's important. You got to pay them and you got to account for it. So if you're somewhere expensive like that, I would say your tax percentage should probably be closer to 30 to 35%. Womp, womp. Yeah, that's pretty dang high. Important, but high. Important, but high. To wrap up something very messy into a nice, tight action step, we would say if you're a reader and you want to get the book, awesome. We'll link the book in the show notes. If you want to start by just Googling profit first assessment or worksheet, that might be a great place as well. We'll link that in the show notes too, because that just gives you a one pager of percentages to start and play with your numbers with. And if you're needing that extra hands-on help, you can join our workshop. We have a few spots left for September 29th and 30th, and we would love to support you and can answer all kinds of nuanced questions there. Thanks for listening to the Weight Inclusive Innovators pod. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our podcast and add us to your queue every week. We would love if you left us a rating and review, especially a written one. If it's nice, if it's not going to be nice, don't worry about it. Stole that from Glennon Doyle. And share with a friend to help us reach more weight inclusive business owners who could use support and pep talks. See you next week. Bye.